Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke. As a reminder, yesterday we were talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was a radical story, talking about the breakdown of racial barriers and 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 all of that. But I think that today's passage, uh, it's not a story, it's a, a perhaps a living parable. I think it's even more radical than that. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So we're in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, where we read this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at, Jesus, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dave, I have to say that the um, when I first became a believer, I, I heard this story uh, in a number of contexts, but it was always with the same message. And the idea was that there were kind of active ways of, of serving uh, you know, practical things like, you know, like Martha's doing here, preparing the meal. And then there were the more contemplative uh, ways, things focused around prayer and uh, teaching the word of God and, and studying the word of God, those kinds of things. And that the message here was really that um, Mary had chosen something that was better. The contemplative paths were superior to the active paths of serving. But I think the context here, as set up by Luke, is really something a bit different. Uh, first of all, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, this is where Jesus is entering into his uh, last week, last weeks of, of uh, life on earth, uh, the end of his ministry. He's going to be handing everything over into the hands of these disciples who are going to have to carry this mission forward. He has a little time left. And as he's beginning to head into Jerusalem, he tells them the story of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And from that, they're getting this idea that the, the kingdom of God, and as the kingdom goes out, it's going to be something that breaks through these racial barriers, that these prejudices that we have that, that make this something for insiders only, those are going to have to be torn down because the church, the, the kingdom of God is going to be for something, it's going to be something for, for everyone. And so we're going to need to be removing these barriers. And what I see here is that this very next encounter, which I think is a living parable, is is breaking down another barrier, and that is the barrier of, of gender. It doesn't mean that they're not distinctions, but there's this barrier that keeps women on the outside that is accepted at this point in time. Um, so when Martha comes in, she says, you know, Lord, this isn't fair. Why don't you tell her to help me? Well, if it wasn't for that gender barrier, she might say, this isn't fair. Why doesn't everyone help me get the dinner ready? But it's only Martha. It's only Martha only wants Mary to help her. Why? because she is a woman and she belongs in the woman's space, which is in the kitchen helping to make the meal, instead of being in the man's space, which is with all these other men who are sitting at Jesus's feet. That discipleship stuff sounds great, but that, that's for the men. And, and Jesus turns to her and says, you know, you're, you're concerned about so many things, but only one thing is important. And people have debated back and forth, what is that one thing? What's this one thing that Jesus says is so important? And I, I, 
I think in this context, the, the thing that is truly important is it's important to be a disciple and no barrier, whether it's gender or race or anything else, is, is going to stop. Is, is, Jesus is not going to allow any of those barriers to stop someone from sitting at his feet, which is which is not just literally sitting at someone's feet. It's it's an idiom for expressing this whole idea of being a disciple. And in that context, to be a disciple of a rabbi means only one thing. Being a disciple of a rabbi means that you are training to be like the rabbi. You are going to carry on the ministry and teaching of the rabbi when the rabbi is gone. So her being a disciple is saying she wants to be like Jesus. She wants to carry on the ministry of Jesus. She doesn't want to just serve uh, people who are going to serve Jesus, but she wants to be uh, part of this group of people who is going to who is going to be Jesus to a lost and and hurting world. Um, so I, again, I, I think really what Jesus is doing here is this is a living parable that tears down this not God given but cultural expectation that women should not have this kind of access to discipleship and service. I think this is going to be a hard lesson for everyone to learn, for the church to learn. I mean, the racial boundary was was super hard to learn. It took divine intervention in order to get Peter and the other disciples to accept it. I think we're still wrestling with that today. And I think in the same way, some of these gender boundaries we're, we're still wrestling uh, with today. So I don't think this is really a battle between active and contemplative styles of, of worship and, and following Jesus. I think this is a matter of Jesus needing to tear down boundaries that were going to hinder the progress of the expansion of the kingdom of God to a lost and hurting world. So, uh, Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. Well, I think you've done a great job unpacking. Uh, you know, I think what happens generally is people read this passage in isolation and they make exactly the interpretation that you were making. Uh, and what it ends up doing is denigrating the people who serve in practical ways, who are really the people who make churches run, right? And and exalting the people who serve in more spiritual ways, or the just the people who experience even spirituality in a, a more affective way, and uh, and and so you end up kind of setting up this two-tiered system of of how spiritual people are. Um, that's I think the way this is misused. But interestingly enough, I actually think this this passage does speak to that tendency, but in a very different way than the way that we use it. So what I think is happening, as you have said. Right, we saw in uh, in the kind of the previous section you did about the Good Samaritan, Jesus breaking down this kind of cultural barrier, uh, and saying, "Hey, you think there's people who are in and people who are out," and Jesus saying, "No, you, those distinctions, all of these people actually are precious to God. All of them are valuable, and all of them have the ability to follow me. And sometimes the people you would assume would, the priest and the Levite, they actually miss the kingdom, and the people you would assume wouldn't." Samaritan actually is living in the kingdom, right? And so that's where, you know, it's 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 confusing the boundaries that used to, to distinguish people. He's not saying that Samaritans don't exist, like that, that they're somehow they need to become Jews. What he's saying is, no, as Samaritans, they actually are able to worship and, and actually like fully manifest the kingdom. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here with gender, because I think in our current cultural context, there's been a whole lot of people who are, are basically trying to erase any distinction, between, you know, that, that there even are two genders, right? That, that there is a distinction at all. I think, well, that's not helpful. And in, in my view, I think some of the, the more recent versions of feminism, right? Feminism has gone through multiple waves. And, and some of the more recent ones, in my view, have become actually anti-women because what they have, have 
implied is that the only way women can really have full value in society is for them to behave in ways that are more typical of men, to want things that men tend to want, to operate in spaces where men tend to operate. And that, you know, that's how they're going to have full value. And I, I think I, I love men. Right? Some of my best friends are men. Uh, but that it doesn't mean that I, I think that men are any better than women, nor do I think women are better than men. I, I think God made both of us for a reason because both are precious. Both are valuable. Both are, are you know, reflections of who God is, right? We see, you know, in the beginning when God, you know, God said, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them, right? There was something that, that was needed in both in order to reflect who God is that neither of us could do alone. And so I think be able to say, hey, gender matters and it's real, but here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't decide who can be a disciple and who's not, who's precious in God's kingdom and who isn't, who has standing in God's kingdom and who doesn't. And so I think that that's the big mistake that, that we're making today is we're trying to say, hey, everybody's able to be kind of the valuable thing. And, and I would, you know, so let's let's create, let's eliminate any appearance or, or, or vestiges of distinctions. And I say instead, no, let's have the, a very different spirit that says, hey, actually the distinctions themselves are part of God's kingdom and, and are beautiful and good and should be honored, right? And, and so that that way, nobody is denigrated on either side of this. I feel like there's this battle between men and women where it, it just, the battle itself, I feel like is helping us miss the kingdom. There's something that God thought was beautiful about men and something beautiful about women. And if if we are, are derogatory of the other, I feel like we're, in a sense, missing, we're being derogatory of something that reflects, you know, part of what is reflecting God's image. I, I think that's not a helpful spot to be. But now taking that same thing and, and applying it to the way that people usually read this passage, I think there's a lot of folks who would say, oh, yeah, the practical people, they're not as good as the spiritual people, but maybe, Martha, you could become more spiritual. Why don't you start praying more, right? Put down that plate, start to pray, then you can be good too. Well, that makes the exact same mistake. And I see so often people in churches doing this. I see it, it can happen in, in you know, either direction. Either I look at everybody else who's got more gifts than I have in some area. And I think, oh, those are the good gifts. Because the gifts I have, I mean, they're not really gifts. They're easy. Like stuff I do is simple because it's simple for me. What that person does is really hard because it's hard for me. And so therefore, I think that's the good gift. My gift, that's not really all that big a deal. But their gift's a big deal. And, and I put myself there. Or it works the opposite way. And I think my gift's the important one. How come they're not more like me? And, and I think it happens both ways. I think I've seen most often, it's ironically, the people in in, um, in, in this prayer ministry, right? The, the Marys, if you will, uh, who instead of being able to recognize, hey, God created us to have a particular calling for a particular uh, or a particular passion for prayer. And that's our way of serving the whole body. And other people have other callings and all of those are the ways that God has served the body. And as we all get all the body parts together, wow, we have this incredible, vibrant body of Christ. I think sometimes what happens is sometimes, it, and again, I've seen it most often in prayer ministry, but it can happen anywhere. And I think it ends up being abutted by this passage. They look and say, hey, I'm really committed to prayer and worship. How come that person isn't doing it the same way I do it? They must not be as spiritual. They're not as good. And instead of saying, hey, I've got a gift to offer the body, They've instead created a law that, you know, sort of a standard that the rest of the body has to live up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go ahead and be a, an ear, but you better be able to smell as well as the nose does, right? And well, ears aren't going to be doing that, but they're they're actually good for a different reason. 
And so being able to have that spirit um, of, of being able to say, yes, there's distinctions between us, including personality types, as we see with Martha and Mary, and yet neither of them is more important. I'll also point out, just my last point, when John, uh, when um, uh, when Jesus uh, healed Peter's mother-in-law, right back in Luke 4, we pointed out, right, he, he touched her, immediately her fever left her, it said, and then immediately she got up and began to serve. That for her, serving was a beautiful expression of worship and response and thanksgiving to God. And then when Jesus is about to, you know, having the Passover, he sends some disciples ahead to prepare the meal, right? They're actually going and doing Martha's work. And so that obviously is a beautiful form of faithful discipleship. We see it in both, you know, the beginning of Luke and the end of Luke. And so we know that what Martha is doing is a beautiful expression of faithful discipleship. It's when either of them thinks that they're, they're better or worse than each other because they're called to a different part or different way of serving Jesus. That's when we get in trouble. And I, unfortunately, I think we tend to do that all the time. So I guess uh, maybe a way I would summarize it is that we need to find ways to honor our distinctives rather than denigrate or erase those distinctives. That's right. That's exactly right. And that totally fits with the whole image of us being a body of Christ with many different parts, but but one purpose. Well, Dave, uh, we've been getting this wrong <laughs> for 20 centuries. So maybe you can pray for us that we can start getting it a little bit more right. Let's pray together. Lord, in the spirit of this Lenten season, we want to confess how quick we are to either judge others because they're not like us, or judge ourselves because we're not like others. God, I pray that you would help us see that sin. God, that you would help us confess, repent, and then be able to enter in and really embrace this this vast multitude of different kinds of people you have made, all of whom made in your image and reflecting different parts of who you are. God, I pray that we would have your Holy Spirit of love for one another as a derivative of our love for you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today. And I hope that you'll come back to come back to join us again tomorrow. We're going to deal with another famous passage, this one where Jesus teaches us how to pray. So go in peace.